iHeart3D Audio. Welcome to Brain Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, Brain Stuff. Lauren Vogelbaum here with a special 3D episode. So make sure that you have headphones or earbuds ready because after we talk a little bit about the life and times of Edgar Allan Poe, we're going to have for you a special 3D reading of his poem, The Raven. Whether you were introduced to Edgar Allan Poe through his short stories or his poems, a mention of his name is enough to conjure up a sense of eeriness. This early American writer has been credited with inventing the detective story, pioneering science fiction, and, of course, revolutionizing dark fiction. He's the subject of three museums, the Poe Museum in Richmond, Virginia, the Edgar Allan Poe House and Museum in Baltimore, Maryland, and the Edgar Allan Poe National Historic Site in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Many fans of the writer also enjoy visiting his grave at Westminster Hall and Burying Ground in Baltimore. Along with his long-lasting literary popularity, Poe was equally known for his literary criticism. And if his career as a writer now seems inevitable, no one would have suspected it at the beginning. Born in Boston to traveling actors in 1809, Poe had become an orphan by the age of three. A Scottish immigrant and tobacco merchant John Allen and his wife Frances brought Poe to Richmond and raised him as their foster child. His new father expected that Poe would become a businessman like he was, but the boy had other aspirations. Poe left home to study at the University of Virginia in 1826, without much support from Allen, who provided him with a meager allowance. In an attempt to increase his income, Poe began gambling, which led him to debt rather than prosperity. Allen refused to cover his losses, and Poe dropped out of university. The relationship with his father strained, Poe joined the U.S. Army and later entered the United States Military Academy at West Point. By that time, he determined that he would become a writer and published his first book, Tamerlane and Other Poems, pieces largely inspired by Lord Byron. His time at West Point was cut short when he was expelled, probably not, as rumors have had it, for drinking, fighting, or nudity, but rather for offenses like skipping class and chapel. Perhaps the end of his military career was for the best. Poe always knew he was meant to be a writer, and he was right. After West Point, Poe returned to Baltimore, got left out of Allen's will when he died, and began publishing his own short stories. Acquiring an editorial position with the magazine Southern Literary Messenger in Richmond, Poe added literary criticism to his skill set. His reviews were known for their critical and exacting nature. But if critics are sometimes accused of operating from a perspective of arrogance, not having done the work themselves, Poe was different. He was a writer himself. Indeed, Poe felt it was his duty to bring American writers up to higher standards, according to the Edgar Allan Poe National Historic Site. For the article this episode is based on, HowStuffWorks spoke with Paul Voss, Associate Professor of English at Georgia State University. He said, He was on the leading edge of what it meant to be a professional writer. He was a craftsman. He put in the time. When Poe was writing, American literature was still in its infancy. Poe's contemporaries included Herman Melville and Nathaniel Hawthorne, while Mark Twain was just a teenager when Poe died. As a writer and magazine editor, Poe campaigned to improve the profession, pushing for better pay and copyright laws. 
At the age of 27, he married 13-year-old Virginia Clem, his first cousin. He continued writing, moved to New York and Philadelphia, and struggled financially. His situation improved in 1845 when his poem The Raven made him a household name. But two years later, in 1847, Virginia died of tuberculosis, and Poe would soon follow her to the grave. His works include stories like The Telltale Heart and The Fall of the House of Usher, plus poems like The Bells and Annabelle Lee. If you're looking to dip your toe in Poe's greatest hits, start with the select works on the Poe Museum website. They're available in full for free online, as are his other works now in the public domain. Following Virginia's death, Poe is reported to have increased his alcohol consumption, but by the summer of 1849, he'd become re-engaged to his ex-fiancee, Sarah Elmira Royster. But the two were not destined to marry. Stopping in Baltimore while traveling, Poe disappeared for five days. He was spotted near a pub, possibly drunk, wearing strange clothing that was not his. In and out of consciousness a few mornings later, he died in a hospital at the age of 40. Many theories have been suggested about his death, ranging from alcohol poisoning to epilepsy to tuberculosis. But another theory posits that Poe fell victim to corrupt politicians in Baltimore, who attacked men, drugged and disguised them, and took them to vote repeatedly at various polling places, and then left them for dead. Originally buried in an unmarked grave in an inauspicious location at Westminster, Poe was moved thanks to Baltimore school children, who raised enough money with their 1875 Pennies for Poe project to earn him a monument and a place at the front of the cemetery. He lies near Virginia and her mother, Maria Poe Clem, among heroes from the American Revolution and the War of 1812. Outside of inspiring lovers of the macabre, Poe's work has had a lasting effect on the literature and popular writing that followed him. The Guardian lists Arthur Conan Doyle, Peter Straub, and Jules Verne among those who were influenced by Poe, and states that he, quote, signals the beginning of what would become a great Anglo-American literary dialogue. The master of celluloid suspense, none other than Alfred Hitchcock, has been quoted as stating, it's because I liked Edgar Allan Poe's stories so much that I began to make suspense films. But he was more than a writer, according to Voss. Poe held the belief that there was no puzzle that the human mind can make that the human mind cannot then solve. He tried to test that theory in The Purloined Letter by looking at the operation of intellect and rationality. His was a rational approach, even to something as carnal and visceral as revenge. As Voss said, his stories still continue to fascinate. Also, not many writers can boast a sports team being named in honor of them, but Poe can. The Baltimore Ravens NFL team owes its name to the hometown hero's most famous poem. And, fittingly, its mascot is named Poe. And now, this is where an episode would usually wrap up, but please stay tuned, headphones on if you got them, for a special 3D presentation of Poe's poem, The Raven. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. 
distinctly, I remember. It was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly, I wished the morrow. Vainly, I had sought to borrow from my books a crease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is and nothing more." Presently, my soul grew stronger. Hesitating, then no longer, sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door, darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortals ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, Soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely, that is something at my window lattice. Let me see, then, what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady, perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, O ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore, tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quote the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled, this ungainly fowl, to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless 
said I what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, never more. But the raven, still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then, upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking, what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat, engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat, divining, with my head at ease reclining, on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, Perfumed from an unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee by these angels, he hath sent thee respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost Lenore. Quote the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I. Thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quote the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, Prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quote the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting. Get thee back into the tempest in the night's Plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of the lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak out from my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting still is sitting on that pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. This episode was brought to you in iHeart3D Audio. To experience more podcasts like this, search for iHeart3D Audio in the iHeartRadio app. It was based on the article The Life and Mysterious Death of Edgar Allan Poe on HowStuffWorks.com, written by Carrie Whitney. 
Brain Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with HowStuffWorks.com and is produced by Tyler Klang. For more podcasts in general from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.